Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of The Books, The Bag, and The Ugly, a podcast where I, Rayma Meggett, am your host, and I will be discussing a book I have recently read and deciding whether the book is in its bag or truly atrocious. Here's how this show works. I will introduce the book I've chosen, give a brief summary of the plot, and then I will dig into the review. And later on, we will have guest speaker to give their perspective before I give my final ruling. Please be warned, there will be major book spoilers in this episode and every episode essentially. So if that's not your jam, don't listen. Without further ado, today's book will be Sin and Chocolate by K.F. Breen, the first book in the Demigod of San Francisco series. So here is the Goodreads synopsis of the book. Some people are ordained for greatness. Those people usually have a lot of drama in their life. Drama I happily do without. I live in a forgotten corner of nowhere for a reason. There is safety and anonymity. I have enough problems just trying to get by. But when Kieran, a sinfully sexy demigod at the pinnacle of power, crashes into my life, suddenly my whole world is turned upside down. He's harboring a deadly secret, one that could destroy all he holds dear. He thinks I'm the key to his salvation, and he wants me to help him claim vengeance. He also wants me with a passion that burns my body from the inside out. To ignore him is impossible, but to give in to my desires, even for a night, would thrust me into danger I might not survive. Can I resist the temptation? This book received a 4.2 on Goodreads, and the basic premise is that the main character, Alexis, lives on the outskirts of society, as all good urban fantasy heroines do. She has two wards who are also outcasts, and the three of them struggle to survive. So society is made up of the magical and the non-magical, who for the most part don't mix. Uh, The magical society is considered extremely powerful, and the non-magical, who are called Chesters, tend to be very fearful and hateful to magic users. Alexis and her wards live in the dual society zone, which is where the poorest of the poor live. Everyone here is looked down upon, but they mostly all just scrape by. Um, And then one day, Alexis is buying a blanket for Mordecai, who's her oldest kid. He's a shifter, uh, but he's got a sickness that prevents him from actually shifting, which is an interesting plot point, but we'll get to him. Um, and while on this trip, she nearly gets hit by a car that's carrying the local demigod's son, Kieran. Kieran then proceeds to stalk this woman for the first half of the book. But don't worry, she finds him incredibly sexy, so everything's fine. Then at the halfway point, Alexis, and by proxy, the reader, are finally clued into the fact that Kieran is the son of what is basically the royalty of San Francisco, and he wants her to use her magic to help him set his mother's soul free. It's been trapped in the afterlife by Kieran's dad, Valens. Now, Kieran is a descendant of the line of Poseidon. Uh, so then Kieran proceeds to further meddle in her life, manipulate her by way of her kids, and somehow seduce her and sweep her off her feet for a whirlwind romance. The latter half of the book basically all takes place in the magical government building uh, because Kieran is forcing Alexis to re-register her magical powers because he believes she's much stronger than she's letting on. So they go to the magical government building, her and Mordecai, who are both magical, and her other child is non-magical, but we'll get into her other kid, Daisy, a little bit later as well. Um, so yeah, we get to see some hints of Alexis's true power here, and she actually kind of faces off against Kieran while they're in the building. Uh, and then they have a weird and unnecessary pool scene that finally leads into an actual conflict in the book. 
about 75% of the way through, which ends in a disappointing manner with Alexis uh, giving in to her stalker and demigod and basically accepting the job to help his mom despite all the mess that goes along with it. If you can't already tell, I don't like this book. Um, I'm not a fan at all, and I would never read it again, but we'll get into my final ruling in just a little bit. I do want to kind of go over some of the main plot points of the book and get into the review a little bit before we have on our guest speaker. So I'm going to start with the main character, Alexis Price which by the way, you don't learn her name until almost halfway through the book as well, or like her last name, excuse me. You know her name's Alexis, but you don't learn her last name until halfway through the book, which I found weird upon second reading. It was kind of strange that like I knew her, but almost nothing about her actually. So Alexis is your prototypical uh female main character, especially for urban fantasy books, they love to make all of your main characters kind of a feisty, strong, independent woman who will also bow down at the feet of any man that's willing to accept them. So she's very much that, but uh, instead of like feisty and funny, she tends to just have a bad attitude and be snarky with people, even when they're trying to help her, which I did not have fun with. Um, a lot of her attitude comes across as complaining rather than like witty banter. Um, also, she she admits that she has a bad attitude and I would too if I was in her position. I mean, she's very poor. She's like a single mom, but not really a mom. She's like a, I guess she's a mom. I don't know. She doesn't like adopt the kids. They just kind of live with her as her wards. But she's a single mom of two. She's the only one making money in the house. Um, one of her kids has a disability. So it's it it's a struggle, obviously, but um, it's still not super fun to read a woman just hate her life and hate other people all the time. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's like my first issue with her. Um, also she cries a lot and that's a turnoff for me. That's just a personal thing though, but she cries a lot throughout this book. Um, I will say I don't dislike everything about Alexis in the first book. Now I have read the second book and I'm not going to get too, too into it, but I don't like the second book very, I, I don't like the second book at all. Um, which I'll, I'll discuss at the end probably as I wrap this up, but uh, in the first book, I'm okay with Alexis. I was pr very neutral towards her. She had her ups and her downs. She has like a weird sense of self-righteousness, I think, for a lot of the book. But it's also very, it comes across as very hypocritical because um, her magic, which is, it's simply put, it's necromancy. She can, de she deals in souls. Um, so she sees dead people, like in the sixth sense. Um and a lot of her magic is based off of moving souls beyond the veil, which is basically um, the line into the afterlife. So she has a weird uh, like treatment towards the dead and their souls. She verbally harasses most of the ghosts she sees uh, in her daily life, but then when other people mess with them, she tends to have like a 
very angry feel about it, which just comes across as hypocritical to me. And a lot of her um, emotions are. I think uh, Breen was trying to balance the character, and I think it kind of got away from her in a lot of ways where she had extreme ups and extreme downs, which I would have liked to see stabilized, but uh, they don't get that way at any point. Um, And then also... Oh, oh, what I was going to say was it is fun to see her with the kids, actually. That's my, like, those are my favorite parts of the book. Seeing her work her magic and her kids are finally learning kind of what her magic is because most of her life she's been told to hide it by her mom, who's now deceased, which is a point, um, like a general plot point of the book. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see her dynamic with the kids because they're so fun and we are going to touch on the kids in just a little bit. But those were like my highlights for her. Um, But a lot of the time, it's just a lot of her posturing and bluffing and pretending like she's cool and like she's so free spirited and she's funny, but you don't ever get to really see it. It's a lot of show and not, it's a lot of telling and not showing in this book. And I just, it comes across so vague, like she's not a real character. She's just an amalgamation of what other people see of her. You don't really get to see her have any shining moments throughout the book, I don't um, really think. It just, she fell flat. Um, And she just doesn't develop very well either. Like throughout the book, she goes from being this kind of nobody character. And basically through the whole book, she, she is a nobody. And then right at the very end, it's like, oh, she's super powerful. And she's like basically a detective without any type of training or any schooling, nothing. She just got it like that. And it doesn't gradually build, so it's not believable. But then in the next book, she goes right back to being the same, for lack of better words, stupid character that she was in the beginning. And so it just, it. she's a plot device and it doesn't make any sense because she's the main character. Um, next on our little quick run through is Kieran. Kieran is my least favorite character in the book. I don't like him. He is a sociopath. Kieran is a straight up lunatic. There's no redeeming qualities about this man. And I will get into all of the things I dislike. So like I said, Kieran's a sociopath. Um, when he meets Alexis, they are, she's like buying a blanket. Well, the first scene she's trying to like she's in a store and she's looking at bags that she knows she can't buy because she's freaking poor um as she gets into that she leaves the store she's got her phone in her hand she's walking she doesn't see a car and the car almost hits her kieran is in the car and from his perspective we see him say the words Apparently, she expected the world to navigate around her. She needed a lesson in how the world worked. And then he proceeds to get closer to her with the car and fake out like he's going to hit her. Normal people, normal, balanced, mentally stable people don't do that. He's a sociopath. He's a lunatic. And it only gets worse. He stalks her through the entire book. It's his only motivation in the book is stalking her, which <sighs> terrible. It's not good. It's, 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 <sighs> I need a minute. Oh my goodness. It's so poorly written. 
because she wants you to think he's sexy. And Alexis clearly believes that this man has some type of sexual appeal, but he doesn't. Um, which I'll, I'll come back to that point as well. Um, he also continually thinks things along the lines of, I need to drive her, being Alexis, to her limit, and then we'll see what choice she makes. Or, I have you cornered, Alexis. I'm your only hope for the miracle that you need. Normal, stable people don't say or think things like that. He is a sociopath. The whole book, he's like that too. And he continually displays signs of being an abuser. Like he shows all of the signs of abuse. He continually tries to isolate her. Um, He makes her monetarily dependent upon him. So she works at the store. She got fired from working there because um, because she works in the dual society zone. Basically, she can't get um, the benefits that she needs for her kids. So Mordecai, who has a disability, can't get his medicine. So he has a lot of like medical emergencies. Um, because of that, she ends up having to run out on work a little bit early. Her boss basically fires her, and then she ends up working at what they call the Magical Freak Show, where all of the magical people come in and um, basically showcase her talent for a bunch of non-magical people. And it's pretty degrading, whatever, but she works there because she has to, because she has two kids, and she's the only person making money in the family. Um, Karen comes to the freak show, gets it shut down, and then gets it moved into the dual society zone, which means that she has to reapply for her permit through the magical governing office, which he controls. So he's now making her monetarily dependent upon him. She's making, he's manipulating her through her kids frequently by saying, oh, if you worked for me, I could get you the medical insurance you need to get Mordecai his operation or to get Mordecai his medicine. It's creepy. It's gross. He constantly gaslights her. He's an abuser and she just accepts it. It's, I don't want to say she accepts it because that sounds victim blamey, but she, she, (sighs) Reen makes it so hard to root for her is all I'm saying. It makes it hard to think that she's like not willingly walking into the situation because she knows exactly what he's doing, but continues to, um, she continues to, I don't want to say allow the behavior, but she's like, well, it's fine. It's okay. But she has no reason to believe that he's not going to like kill her. So I, it's not believable for me. Also, another thing about Kieran. So like I said, um, his father is the demigod of San Francisco who basically rules the San Francisco Magical Society. Uh, Kieran is his son, but his mom is a Selkie, which is like a magical being, whatever. You're going to have to search up your own knowledge about Selkies. They have, they're like water spirits. Doesn't really matter. Uh, because it's never talked about or explored within the book itself. Um, So his mom's a Selkie, but basically his dad 
like trapped his mom's soul in death, which is kind of what he wants Alexis for is to see if she can help solve that situation because again, she deals with dead and she deals with the souls. Um, but Kieran has powers from both his parents. So his dad's powers do things that aren't talked about or explained in the book. And his mom's powers are like lust powers. They, they make people horny, I guess. It's very weird. It's very gross actually, because Kieran abuses those powers frequently. It's really, it's giving very sexual assault vibes. It's not a good time. And honestly, I cringed any time it was mentioned. Um, another weird thing is, and I will come back to this, but Alexis's point of view, which the book switches from Alexis to Kieran's point of view um, every few chapters. Alexis's point of view is in first person. So she says things like, my kids and I did this. Kieran's point of view is in third person. It's so terrible to read. The jumping back and forth is awful. It's one of my least favorite things about the book, and I will come back to that later as well. Uh, another point about Kieran, he has this little group. He has a posse called The Six, which is just giving edgelord vibes, and I hate that as well. And they're terrible. They aren't fleshed out characters. It was done poorly. Um, I'm lumping them in with Kieran now because they literally aren't actual characters in this book. And in the second book, they do get explored a little bit more, but not enough to be important. Um, so then there are six of them, as the name kind of implies. And all six of them could basically perform the same role. They're, they're essentially the same person. Um, so their names are Zorn, Thane, Jack, Donovan, Henry, and Bowman. Every time I hear Zorn's name, I want to throw up and stab myself in the eye at the same time. Why would you name a character Zorn? I'll never get over it. I will never understand why you would name a character Zorn. I also hate the name Bowman. We never see that character in the first book but I genuinely don't like it. It's Bowman spelled B-O-M-A-N. I don't get it. Please make it make sense. Besides their terrible naming system, there's just too many of them. And they're very vague characters. They don't actually do anything in the first book. They're just kind of his minions. So they're useless. There's no point in putting them in. And then in the second book, which I know I keep talking about but in the second book she adds more characters but we still don't have any background on the characters she already added so it just doesn't make any sense but I guess that's a personal problem um also it's clearly too many people for Breen to actually write and write well so she could have just given him a smaller posse I don't know why she made it so many people but whatever um furthermore all of Kieran's six are strangely misogynistic well, not strangely, it's actually very on par for the book. They're very misogynistic. There's a lot of casual objectification of women in this book, and it's really gross. It's it's one of the things I hate most about this book, actually, is the treatment of women and females in general. But we'll come back to that later. Um, aside from the six, once again, I just want to reiterate that Kieran is a psychopath. 
Uh, on to the next characters. They are the greatest characters in the entire series. Uh, the only thing that made this book worth reading at all. And that is the kids. So the kids are named Mordecai and Daisy. They are the saving grace of this book and this entire series. They're great characters. And it's a shame because they get glossed over so much. Like they're completely steamrolled by the plot of the book, as some might call it. I wouldn't call it a plot, but whatever. Um, so Daisy is the non-magic ward of Alexis. She's 14 years old, and she is honestly what the main character wishes she could be. She's a strong, independent thinker with a business-savvy mind, and she's also a little bit romantic, a little bit naive, but she's like a survivalist at her core. She's so cool. And if I got to read a book only about Daisy, I'd be so much happier. She's so funny, and she adds so much like levity to the book that is so needed when you get to the points of Alexis just whining and complaining about everything or when you see Kieran and he's just objectively terrible. There was never a good word written about Kieran in the book. But <laughs> let me let me get off that subject. Um, so yeah, Daisy is great. She's my favorite character. She's so much fun. Love her. Um, Mordecai, also a great kid. He's super cool. And I think it's amazing that Breen actually chose to write him as a kid with a disability. It's not something you see very often in books, especially urban fantasy books. So... I appreciated that little facet of him. Um, yeah, and then he's cool. He likes learning, and he's, like, very responsible, very upstanding guy. He's, um, he's like, the moral backbone of the book, where Daisy is, like, all about surviving. Mordecai is all about, like, living a moral life as he survives. He's very protective. He's a shifter. I don't think they ever say what he shifts into. I presume it would be a werewolf type of thing, just because, but... The magic, the magic system isn't explored super well, so can't be entirely sure, honestly. Um, but yeah, he they both live with uh, Alexis because they were out on the streets. Mordecai got picked up by Alexis's mom, but um, when his uh, when Alexis's mom passed, um, Alexis basically took over their care. Daisy was a homeless girl. She ended up in the foster system. She ran away. Alexis picked her up, and the rest, they say, is history. And they make a really cool family dynamic. They have, like, really good fun moments. And I wish we had more focus on the kids in this book and how Alexis wants to fend for them because those are really the best emotional moments of the book. And seeing her, like, fighting for them to change their situation is amazing, and it adds so much depth to Alexis's very shallow character. Um, we also see that the kids have her back and, like, I think it's cool because this book doesn't treat the kids like they're useless. Uh, they have their own things going on and it's folded in really well. That's, there are honestly the best parts of the book and I really wish we got to see more of it. Um, yeah, so I'm actually, that was the thing that made me so mad was that they just steamrolled over the kids until their devices for Alexis to use or for Kieran to use to manipulate Alexis again. So it's like... We see them, but it, they just get lost in the noise of this book. And this book has so much of that, just like useless noise that doesn't bring anything to the actual plot. Um, and again, the plot doesn't start until almost halfway through the book. It's ridiculous. Um, other couple points. Um, I'm just really glad, I'm really glad that 
bringing um, treats Daisy with like even a modicum of respect because Alexis does not get that treatment. Alexis is ripped on constantly, actually, which is kind of fun because she deserves it. Um, but yeah, Daisy, very fun. So glad for that. Other things that I want to throw out into this book before we get into the um, interview portion. Uh, from a technical standpoint, it needs more editing, constant editing. It's There's so many like little mistakes and little errors that could have been taken out with a good editor, and it's very sad. Um, I mean, I think the whole book would have could have used more editing because if you move some things around, I think it would have helped with the pacing. The pacing for this book is off a lot as well. So that's another issue I have with it. Um, it's so slow at the start and it kind of gets faster, but there's not an actual like action scene in the book, which feels strange because it's like listed as an action romance series, but whatever. Um, another thing is that Alexis and Kieran have no chemistry whatsoever, and it's it's not sexy. It's listing itself as a romance book, but it's not sexy. It's not fun. The two of them don't mesh well together. It's gross to see them on screen together. They don't, I don't want them to win. I don't want them to get together. They aren't compatible in any way, honestly. Um, and again, with Kieran's weird selkie love powers, it's also very sexual assaulty. And I have other points to make on that as well, but I'm going to get into that with the whole discussion. Um, I will say I did like the attention to detail. We got to know a little bit more about the magic system. We got to know about like the insurance of this world, the bureaucracy and the healthcare system. So I think it made good points on that end um, from a like real world grounding type perspective. I think the world building was fine in some ways, but on other ends it lacked completely. Um, like I don't, the villain of the book. So, okay, well, let's get into this now then, I guess, actually. Um, there's no conflict in this book. And the conflicts that they do introduce, which is the issue with Kieran's mom needing to be saved, and it's the issue with Kieran and his dad are having like a fight, and I guess Kieran is trying to overthrow his dad. Those two are like the big conflicts that you hear about in the book. Neither one is resolved. This book takes you nowhere. It's half of a book, honestly, because the first and the second book basically should be combined to make one actual story, but they aren't. And it's so disappointing. It, it's unsatisfying narratively because nothing gets wrapped up in this book. And it's ridiculous. There's a minor introduction to Valens, which if you're a Kate Daniels fan like I am, uh, the issue with Valens is that he feels like a Kate ripoff, but a poorly done one because it's like, oh, I want to overthrow my dad. He's this evil guy and he's constantly watching me and I have to hide my magic from, I have to hide what I'm doing from him, right? But that's just giving Roland vibes, but done worse. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That's another issue I had. Like I said, the pacing is just bad. You don't get any 
issues um, until the last minute. Um, but basically, the conflict of the story that they come up with is that will Alexis take the job or won't she? She decides she will. So there's it pays off within the next chapter. And then Mordecai gets a procedure to fix his um, like disability or whatever because Kieran throws himself a pity party and he decides that he's been a like terrible person for stalking Alexis for the whole book. And wow, I guess I should do something to be a little bit nice to her and give her this. So whatever. But now that I've gone through most of the like big issues I had with the book, we're going to introduce my guest speaker, who's actually the person who recommended me this book, my sister, Eden Meggett. And we're gonna have her on and we're gonna have her discuss why she liked this book somehow and uh, see if maybe she can change my mind a little bit. Um, say hi to the people. You're on our first episode of the show ever. So this is Eden Meggett. What are your thoughts on the book? Um, so I have read this book all the way through two times. Um, and like kind of have done like a little tiny bit of skimming. I was like, <laughs> I kind of already was like, I'm already prepared for this. I know what the, the plot is for like most of the series in the first place, but I don't, I don't hate it. It is not my favorite KF Breen series, but I was like in the mood for her when I started it the second time. The first time I could not get through the first book at all and stopped. The second time I got all the way through book six or seven, I think, and then stopped. <laughs> so, I mean, it's definitely, it's not my favorite KF Green series. It's not my least favorite of hers either. So that's all I got to say on that. Please explain to me how you remember the plot, because I read this book in January and I had... <laughs> zero recollections of what happened in the book and then I remembered it's because nothing happens in the book <laughs> okay um stuff does happen in this book what are you talking about um, it, I, I explain think... when I I finished it last night please explain to me <laughs> when something happened in the book this book is setting up uh it's like world building this whole book is the, the, the thing that happens in this book is setting up for the whole series. Like I, I consider that something happening within a series. It can't just like, if a solo book does that, then there's nothing going on. But within a series, especially like the first book, setup is I think important, at least to me, so. I would say that, but I think it also needs to be a complete book. Like, here's the thing. I've read books that do the world building thing you're talking about. For example, On the Prowl by Patricia Briggs is the opening book, the setup book for the Charles um, and Anna series or the Alpha Omega series as it's actually yeah, called. It has a real name. I just call it Charles and Anna. Um, um, but yeah, that book is solely set up. That's its entire purpose is just to no, say. No, no. There's actual like tie-ins and plot in On the Prowl, right? Okay, okay, Eden, let me speak. Okay. It okay. is the book, you can't get into the series without reading that book, right? It sets up who Charles and Anna are, how they got together, how Anna joined the pack, all of that. You need that book in order to make the series make any type of sense. On the other hand, this book 
is completely unnecessary. And I bargain that the second book is also completely unnecessary because it should have just been one book. Just make it one whole book that actually has a cohesive plot and resolves something. Well, and maybe this is because you didn't read the whole series, but it's pretty much like she, she, I don't know why she did this. And this is kind of where I think it did fall apart for me. And that's why I never like finished the books, but she wrote a series within a series. And so books one, two, and three, I think, are their own like a storyline. It's like re- watching season one of a show and then like the later books are its own storyline. I think it's like, I can't remember if it's six or nine books in the series or maybe it's seven. I think it's actually seven books in the series, which is why this didn't make sense to me. Probably another factor in why I DNF'd it. But um, yeah. For so the, the first- listeners at home, DNF means did not finish. Oh yeah, sorry, I forget y'all are noobs and novices. Um, but yeah, it's like literally reading or literally reading a season one within a, a series, but then season two fell off. Like it was like reading season one of Riverdale and then season two making no sense by the time they got to that weird episode with Betty and this like wig thing and the maples are- oh, you know Betty and the wig about. was in season one, Eden. No, that was in season two. You know, wait. There's no way I made it to season two of Riverdale. I think you did. Stop! I, I hate myself. No, because season one wasn't. Season one the was worst. season one had moments, but I don't remember I me ever seeing the resolvement of the Cheryl Blossom, Jason Blossom weird incest plot thing. Maybe that maybe that came later. I don't know. Anyway, know. regardless, regardless. Yeah. So. I don't, but to me, that still shows bad writing. If you're not going to write a book series that's just its own thing, like if you want to write a spinoff series, go for it, babe. That's all you. But it doesn't make sense to me to write half of a series as one thing and then say it's still in that same series and make it something completely different. I'm not saying that that's good writing. Like I said, I DNF'd it. I think that in the beginning, the thing about me versus you is you are very into um, world building. You're really into plot. You're really into that type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, as opposed to me, where I uh, gravitate towards character and characterization, not that you don't and not like vice versa. We both like the same things, but I think we both have our like niches within our reading. And for me, characters in this book stood out that I liked because I liked Bria. Although she wasn't in this first book, actually. So let me not even talk about her. But I did like Morty and, um, um, oh my God, Daisy. I don't know, I was about to say Alexis. It's the main girl's name. Um, and I kind of like- Exactly, liked, you don't like Alexis. I That's kind, my issue with no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't I, like Alexis. I kind of liked Alexis, I'm not gonna lie. But the problem is, I don't like Alexis. I don't okay. like her. I, in the first book, I'm very ambivalent towards her. I don't care one way or the other. She's mm-hmm. She has very high highs, very low lows for me. Um, I don't like Kieran at all. <laughs> I actively dislike that man. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's just, he's a lunatic. He's a psychopath <laughs> and nothing about him is endearing. Oh my God. Um... 
I think, <laughs> and this is gonna, this is where you're really gonna have to like hold, hold your horses and, and, and let me think about what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. I think that Alexis had potential in the first book and I could see that and I liked it. And so I wanted to like her. Mm-hmm. Um, and KF Breen fell off <laughs> with her, trust and believe. She just, she lost her way with Alexis. Later on in the series, I definitely was like not team Alexis. Um, Kieran, I literally like, I'm not gonna lie. I literally don't even remember that man. So he didn't make an impact on me. Is a, a psychopath. He made, I I have read so many worse books than you that I 100% know worse characters. He stalks her. He stalks her for the first half of the book without her knowledge. That's before she knows really that he's stalking her. Okay. Mm -hmm. He stalks her for the first half of the book without her knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then at one point, he goes up to her in the bar that she goes to, right? Mm-hmm. And she's sitting there, whatever. And he propositions her for oral sex in the <clears throat> most graphic way I've ever heard. I physically cringed when I read that. That's sexual harassment at the very least and bordering on sexual assault. Okay. Um, he continues that type of speech toward her the entire rest of the book. Yes. And it's I'm unacceptable. I'm literally not disagreeing with you. I think Kieran was probably a horrible character. It's that I don't remember that man. He did not make an impact on me. For the two and a half times that I read that book, Kieran does not mean anything to me as a character. I don't um, know how. I physically cringed every time I saw his name at the top of a chapter description. Because also, 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 yeah. we have to discuss the way this woman heinously put a first person and a third person perspective back to back like that. I will never forgive her. (laughs) Okay. Well, here's the thing though. I'm pretty sure that you have read more of the, physically read more of the book than me because you know, I skip, you know, I do not, if something seems like it's going to give me the ick or secondhand embarrassment, or if it's like a sex scene or whatever, I will skip it. See, that's that's um, what I'm I'm, I'm, and so I, I literally, and no matter what books we've re- read over the years, if we've read it the same time or whatever, I don't always know everything that happened because I no, just okay. skip a lot, including There's dialogue. Thing, Eden, I yeah. know you skip a lot. And I was thinking about that. This is the first book where I was like, I have to skip a smut scene really? or I will vomit. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, the pool scene when they when when oh. she fell into the pool, I was like, if I read this, it's over for me. And of course, now I was reading this at 1:30 in the morning because it's chapter like 36 out of 41. Okay. Yeah. Nothing so far has happened in the book except for he stalks her, ruins her job prospects, manipulates her continuously, gaslights her, whatever, right? All the typical stalker things, all the typical abuser, uh, you know, actions. Nothing actually of significance has happened in the book. They're at the magical building, whatever, which is where the second half of the book takes place. Yeah. Like 
as I was reading it, I was looking at the percentages because I was every page. I was like, am I done yet? Am I done yet? (laughs) I didn't like this book at all, but I was looking at the percentages and I'm like at 50%, they enter the magical building at 89%. They leave the magical building and you have two chapters left in the book. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. The pacing is terrible, but anyway, they got to the pool scene and he's like stripping her naked. And I was like, I will never again enjoy a romance book if I read this. I'm really never mean. again. You know how much I love Rebecca Zanetti. She can't do that to me. I yeah. I've never cringed so hard <laughs> physically while reading a book. And I did have to message you yesterday and say that I would punch you next time I saw you. Book <laughs> incites physical violence out of me. Okay, um, I'd actually like a fair point real quick because the minute you said the pool scene, I just was like, oh yeah. So the first time that I read um, let's see, KF Breen had another series. I'm obsessed with it, love it. Well, I'm not obsessed. I'm not like crazy about it, but I legit will read it, reread it, I don't care. And it came out in like 2017, I think. And mm-hmm. Sin and Chocolate apparently had been out before it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this author. She's not gonna put out the second half of this series for a really long time. Let me try Sin and Chocolate. And I read right up until that pool scene and DNF because I got the ick, bro. It literally <laughs> was secondhand embarrassment <laughs> out to up the wazoo. Like the thing is though about KF Green is I don't think she's a good, a great writer. I'm not gonna say she's a bad writer because I, I hate to say stuff about authors. Yeah, and trying. that's my other thing. I hate talking about authors because look, you put out a bad work right? You put out a bad work and you put it into the world for people to read. Once you put it out there and you made a bag off it, you made some money off it. And I'll respect that. I respect the hustle always. And I think if anyone out there is wanting to write a book, go for it. Clearly trash gets produced every day. This book has a 4.2 on Goodreads. Ridiculous. You'll enjoy it. Goodreads It's not good. It's bad from all standpoints. Well, the thing is, like I said, I really liked this other series and I think KF Breen knows how to write exactly one type of character. Mm. And it is literally just a copy of Kate. <laughs> it's literally just, she's trying to write like Alona and Gordon. Okay, so back to the characterization versus um, plot and world building. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like we kind of lost track there cause you went off on your Kieran um, <laughs> hatred standpoint. Like I said, I have read characters, I have read books with worse male leads, so much worse, so, so much worse. Shout out to Simon Baldivar, because that was, that was a trip, bro. But anyway, back on track. Um, Like I said, I really like Daisy, and I really, and maybe this is like me looking through rose-colored glasses, because I've read most of the rest of the series, Daisy is straight up the best part of this book. Oh, absolutely. Best and I already part made of this that series. Point. Unarguably, Daisy carries, and I love Daisy. Um, Morty, love him. I will him. say, Daisy, I'm, re- that's so sad to me because Morty is like one of my favorite <laughs> characters. I will say it made me sad that Daisy, um, her plotline tied in with Zorns so much in the second book because like I said earlier, and all my podcast listeners know, Every time I hear Zorn's name, I want to stab myself in the eye. Why would you name someone Zorn? He is the king of the edgelords and I hate him. 
I hate bro, him almost I, as much as I hate Kieran. Bro, no, I love Zorn. <laughs> Zorn is not funny. And also, no, here's the thing. I don't funny. like I don't like Zorn and I also don't like Bria. Who's okay. by the way for all the listeners, Bria is introduced in the second book, which is what I was saying when I talked about the six, when I made my point that the six are not real characters and that they don't even like serve individual purposes. Um they're all the same person, but like Zorn stands out just a little bit from the rest of them because of the fact that he trains Daisy and he interacts with Bria. I don't like Bria either, but that's something for if I ever talk about the second book, which I likely won't do because that book incenses me to no end. I don't like that book either. I actually dislike that one so much more than I dislike this one. Yeah. But my other point about the six, which I didn't make earlier, but I did want to talk to you about it because I think it's ridiculous is that with the perspective changes, it makes it so hard to get a consistent read on a character because when we're introduced to the six, that's in Kieran's perspective, he knows their names. So she doesn't really describe the characters too much. She's like, there's Jack. He's tall. That might've been her description for him. Zorn is like medium height. And then like one of them is blonde. I want to say that's Donovan, but again, there's too many of them to know, and you ne- you don't even meet Bowman in the first book, so why introduce that him? That is so true. Just, okay. make him, just make them fine. Yeah. I actually did here's with what... Iron and Magic and just give him a four-person posse and have them all be distinct. Four people is honestly like the like the golden spot for like numbers of people. Like if you look at like the Bat family, there's like four real Robins, because I don't count the other ones, right? So you get like oh. four people and they all have distinctive personalities. I was or literally about to say, who at, are the others? But then I remembered. Yeah, Steph I don't care technically counts. Yeah, whatever. Oh, okay. She does not. I don't like her. But, okay, <laughs> so you get them. Or like I said, with Iron and Magic, you get the four people, whatever. I mm. think four is a good number and she should have stuck to that because the way she has it now, there's too many of them and none of them get a character. But back to my original point where what I was going with this was that then when we switch to Alexis's perspective, we get descriptions of the actual characters, but she doesn't know any of their, their names. names. Yeah. So it's so difficult to match them up and she doesn't do it well until book two. So most of the book, I was like, I don't know who she's referring to right now. Yeah. And I yeah. likely never will. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like, like I said, she, I think she in her mind had this idea. I want to do a found family book. And props to her because I love a found family story that's why I probably like stayed as long as I did but um the difference between sin and chocolate and I hope you can't hear my uh, dryer going off right now but the difference between uh sin and chocolate and um and um god now I can't even remember the um the vampire days demon knights whatever that that anyway whatever it was called is that she knew how knows how to write a loner character with very little outside influence. She can write one character at a time, mostly well. She can characterize one single character at a time, but then she put in a bunch of characters. And yeah, I don't. I literally don't remember the six. I think I remember most of their names. It's Zorn, who I actually did like, um, and I will go back into that in a minute. But I like uh, Zorn. Jack, who also I like legit. Jack like. is the only one I actually liked. <laughs> Jack is legit um, 
and I all I remember out of him is he's like a whale man or something I don't remember very much I will get into Jack in a second bro like don't even worry about it um there's Bowman which you reminded me of Bowman's name there's um there's Henry Henry (laughs) not a character that's what I was gonna say I was gonna say okay Eden when I was going (laughs) through the book to like write down my notes for this I was like okay Zorn I remember Zorn, Jack, and Donovan because they're the three with speaking roles, okay? Okay. The rest of them, I have no idea. I, okay, so the other one's name is Thane. Thane, that's who it was. What a terrible name. I hate that as well. I've already made that point. I don't like the names (laughs) for most of them because why are half of them like old and half of them are like regular names? Like I could meet Henry on the street today, but if Zorn came up to me, I'd kill myself. Well, and this is probably, I like, obviously, just spoiler warnings for your listeners, but the thing about Zorn and Thane, and actually the rest of the six, is they're all older than Kieran, and I don't remember if this was, like, discussed, I don't remember if this was discussed in book one at all, actually, I think, I think Zorn is, is discussed in book one, okay, yeah, I think Zorn is actually the youngest, and he's younger than Kieran, but, I believe so. Actually, I feel like I remember that being a plot point from okay. the second book. But it honestly Zorn doesn't is make younger any than sense. them, but like he's the deadliest one or whatever. But yeah, like, that's why it doesn't yet, make I have any yet sense. to see it come true. I mean, no, it definitely comes true later on when they reveal what Zorn is. So I'm just going to tell y'all what everyone is. So Thane is a berserker and he's, I think, the oldest one. And he's like literally Greek. Um, so his name was like her trying to be like you know he's old old magic I think Thane is the oldest um I don't remember what Bowman Donovan or Henry do or where they came from to be honest I don't think she even knows that um again Bowman you I have yet to see this character between two books anyway (laughs) I literally don't remember him at all so I literally can't help you with that but Jack is a kraken Yes, he wasn't a whale guy. He was a kraken. That's what it was. Yeah, and Jack is like, this is like a a big spoil, but I know you're not going to finish this book. So like, I literally don't care. (laughs) Sorry to your listeners. But um, Jack dies in the later books. And that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually so horrible. Okay, so here's where um, I think that my like laughing that's not funny (laughs) no it kind of it kind of it kind of came out of nowhere and I literally would have rather had literally any of the other six die or Kieran I was rooting for Kieran to die but that's a personal thing yeah um but it was crazy because he was trying this was after they saved Mordecai and he was trying to teach Mordecai about shifting because Krakens are technically shifters in this world, which I was like, okay, cool. So that's like something new. Really um, quick question about Mordecai because she does not yeah. explain in book one, what type of shifter is he? He is a werewolf. Okay, that's what um, I figured because she didn't specify, but I didn't really? know. Because okay. because I remembered that they're, that like Jack considers himself to be a shifter because he shifts into a Kraken. So I was like, I don't know if he's like, some random wear animal especially because this is giving very much Kate ripoff vibes you know it very well could yeah. be yeah that he could be many different types of animals you know whatever so thank you for clearing that up yeah um so yeah so when Jack is trying to help Mordecai learn how to shift I think he dies saving Mordecai or some something like that which was like Dumb. really not sad to me because I didn't care um but 
Well, I mean, I care about Jack. Jack was like one of the only six that I liked besides Zorn. Okay. And I kind of like Thane later on, who becomes more of a character. Um, but it was, it's very, it's like, it's, it's very interesting because like Alexis can see the dead, obviously. Mm-hmm. And she's the only one who constantly sees Jack. And I think that was one of the cooler things that she did with Alexis's power, mm-hmm. that like emotional drain of being around dead people mm-hmm. all the time yeah I especially say, people you know I will say um one thing I didn't like about Alexis which I mentioned earlier was that she is very like irreverent of the dead but she's also weirdly protective over them mm-hmm. so I, it just was like a weird contrast to me but um if she fleshes that out later then hopefully that that's like a good thing she kind of gets into it but I was hoping that Alexis would have um, a more like complex um, relationship with her magic, I guess. Like I was kind of hoping that instead of, again, major spoilers for book two of the series, I was hoping that instead of her just, well, I guess it's mentioned in this first book, which was another thing. She's the descendant of Hades in some way, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah, that to me, them revealing that in book one was a complete fail. There is no tension in this book anywhere whatsoever because she either doesn't explain anything. So it's just a vagary that you're left to forget or she will set something up and reveal it within the next two chapters. Yeah. And it's useless. There's no, she doesn't build any suspense or any tension. And it was very clear to me reading it the second time around because I was reading it while I was reading another actually good book series, um, <laughs> which I'm going to talk about in the future. But so it was, it was a very striking contrast to me um, to go from like one to the next, but there's just no tension there. But I was hoping that her magic would be more complex because throughout the book, they're like, yeah, she's just like, weird connection or like affinity for water and like she's on the bay a lot you know they see her and she's like Kieran's like yeah I can I can uh, relate to her with the whole like loving of water thing whatever they have the pool scene they have the scene at the freak show where she's constantly looking at the water they have the scene at the very end where she tells him she's going to accept the accept the job and they're at like the cliff on the bay and they're both looking at the water and you're like this is so calm I love it here which I skipped over almost entirely that like whole scene because Kieran was just throwing himself a pity party, like, I'm sorry, I manipulated you, but then proceeds to continue to manipulating her. So whatever, you're just a liar. You're just a bold-faced liar and an abuser. You did exactly what all other abusers do by pretending to have remorse for your emotions, but then proceeding to do it again in a cyclical form, like an abuser, but that's a different note. Um, But I was just hoping that it would be layered because there are a lot of different mythical beings or like gods that you could have drawn from in the pantheon of Greek mythology and she could have done something really cool to highlight like something you don't hear about often and instead she went the very basic route of Hades and it's like I I guess it's fine but I just there's so many cool ones you could have drawn from and like that was something I loved about Kate was that we got gods from different pantheons but they were also like lesser known like no one would have thought to bring up like Thanatos but she was like yeah Thanatos or Teddy Joe as I like to call him you know like we get fun little moments like that and she could have done something especially cool and complex like that here but she chose not to and I think it was just a little disappointing for me um 
like it fell off like because she could have done um like god i always say his name wrong i want to say it's chiron who's like the the uh, he yeah, rows the, the boat down yeah, yeah yeah him for the underworld and i was like that would have been like a mixture of like water but also the underworld that she could have been like so she's lesser like a lesser um bloodline but still kind of divine you know still somewhere yeah. in that realm because then it would explain kind of some of her like ability to get to Kieran but also wouldn't be like you're a demigod you're super like you know it didn't have to be the basic like I'm not like other girls quirky type mess you know yeah well okay so on on that note I think I want to I say two maybe three things so um I think what she did to make it obviously you know Hades was the route she chose to go Mm -hmm. excuse me sorry um however she chose to flip it on its head slightly so typically in Greek mythology and a lot of books that um um what's the word I'm looking for that adapt Greek mythology Mm -hmm. uh like Percy Jackson series for example um Poseidon and Zeus typically will abandon their children and Hades will kind of stick around and be more of a parent. You know what I'm saying? Um, in this, I feel like she did the opposite where Poseidon and Zeus were more present in their children's lives. And there is a Zeus um, character, not a demigod, but equivalent to Alexis. So I think, what was the power scaling? I, it was irrelevant. Anyway, one of the more powerful ones, I think it's like a four or five. I can't remember. Yeah, um, class five is the highest one. Okay. Yeah. So uh, another class five, like Alexis, where um, a, a Zeus, a son of Zeus or something like that. And so obviously Karen's dad was not a great dad or anything, but like he was a part of his life sort of you know what I'm saying Mm. and Alexis's father is like the flipped on the head one where like Hades is trying to kill their kid you know what I'm saying yeah so I think that was her attempt to try and diversify the genre Mm -hmm. did she do it well no because honestly I kind of forgot most of the time that Alexis had a dad even though he was kind of the overarching arching villain for the second half of the series and kind of the first half as well because Kieran forced her to come out into the light and like destroyed her life essentially oh, I'm not, okay I'm, I, I actually don't like Kieran <laughs> um, I'm not it's just that Those he was the perspective that liked the book bro I invited you on because you didn't dislike this book <laughs> and clearly I'm changing your mind for the better this book is trash you did you're not changing my mind because I dnf'd the series twice like i i didn't like it twice why did you recommend it to me then actually that's that's what i want to get into because we are getting close to time here why did you recommend this book to me did i like do something wrong to you did i like hurt you in some way (laughs) no um i'm punished remember when did when did i recommend this book to you and when did you read it the first time i read it right at the start of january i probably read it like New Year's Day was a probably I picked it up because I remember it was the first book I'd read this year and I was getting a head start on my Goodreads book challenge and I think I had just picked out how many books I wanted to do so it was probably either that first or second day of January because you just left home okay so I read this book in October of 2021 and at that point in time in my life 
Yeah, I'm tr- I was trying to remember what was going on. I lived alone, still do, well, I do again now, but I, at that point in time, I lived alone. And I was kind of, I think, going through the beginnings of a psychotic break. <laughs> so I needed like some form of entertainment because I had just, I think I had literally just finished The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And I- That's on my to-be-read list, actually. I feel like you're going to love it. I did not- I didn't hate it. The writing was beautiful. All this other stuff was, it was good, but I didn't personally like the, the story and the plot of the story. Um, and I needed something high, like more uplifting. And I think also I had just, after I finished The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, I had just found out that KF Breen had restarted that first series I was talking about that I loved. And so I read it really fast. And I slowed down a little bit because one of the, she arched, she kind of had a spinoff into some other characters before she came back to my main girl. And I didn't like that, which should have been an indication that I would not like any other characters besides the one single character, like her first character that she ever wrote well. Because mm-hmm. I have read other ones, other of her series and hated them as well. So, um, and I think just at the time I was like so lonely <laughs> and so like, needing some like conversation and then also because I had like read these books super fast and then like cut it off like immediately I was like all right we're just gonna get through get through get through and then like I think I read all six books within the span of maybe three days four days max and so I was like looking through rose-colored glasses of like this is better than how I felt reading like the feeling I felt the tone and mood of the Evelyn Hugo book hurt my soul a little bit Mm-hmm. And so reading something that to me felt faster paced, lighter and less um, soul crushing uh-huh. helped. And so then I also read it super fast, looking through those rose colored glasses. And I was like, oh, that was good. But then I DNF'd it because in my mind, I think that I thought I DNF'd it because I had been reading it too long. Um, I tend to not be able to read things past a day. When I get new books, I will read them within about 24 hours because otherwise I get bored and quit them even if I like them. So at that point I had gotten through six books and I was like, all right, I'm bored of this. But I also think it was because I wasn't feeling it. I think where I stopped in book six, I got the ick and secondhand embarrassment. I was like, this is weird. This is gross. I'm already sick of this. Let me move on to something new. Mm-hmm. but I was still like looking through life with rose-colored glasses and I was like Rayma it's a found family book and I also think at that point you weren't really reading anything right um most of 2021 I was struggling to find new things to read yeah it is um, really hard I got I got really into like a hold with Alona books yeah and I was trying to get out of it but I'm such a picky reader it was hard to find something that had the same general feel and like fun that Alona books give me Mm -hmm. but that was um actually like different and good and so I 2021 was difficult for me I was reading a lot of like short stories and amateur Mm -hmm. books and things like that yeah so you thought that I would like it because of your feelings there which is funny to me because you said when you were reading the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo that it felt soul crushing to you and this reread of this book was soul crushing to me it honestly I I have never been in a worse space as I read a book I don't think 
I (laughs) that's actually well that's a lie that's a lie that's a lie actually um some books genuinely do depress me and I you know I love to read a good like yeah sad boy hours book so you know me and the perks of being a wallflower have a long history (laughs) but um yeah I this book caused me to physically cringe on all have you read let me let me ask you one more thing before you that have you read twilight before I have not read and there's Twilight. Your problem. <laughs> and there's your problem. You have not read the worst humanity can bring us. I have read Twilight. I have read um the first three chapters of um that other the spinoff or not the spinoff the um, E.L. James. You know what I'm talking about. Fifty Shades of Grey. And I that's going to be its own thing because I want to talk about how Stephanie Meyer destroyed the world. But um, yeah. back to what I was saying. So, so the reason that you, I think, felt so bad reading this is because you've never spent 72 hours with no sleep, no food, no water reading Twilight. Because I'm a stable person. <laughs> I like to think that I am. And um, I don't let my psychotic friends peer pressure me into reading Twilight books. I know Twilight's bad. I read Vampire Academy. I read so much of Vampire Academy. And that's a discussion we also need to have because why are we accepting rape culture so much? Oh, yeah. Paranormal fantasy books. Please make it make sense for me. And I will. I literally don't. Yeah, I 100% want to definitely talk about that. Um, Back to the the, what we were talking about, how this book for you was soul crushing. Yes, we are. Are slightly more picky than me. Not even slightly. You are significantly more picky than me. Um, Which is odd because I can't read most of the books that I pick out. Literally, I am so sex repulsed by most of the books that I pick out that I skip most of the chapters and then have like almost like 5% of book left to read. Here, here's like one more, one more little thing that I just like feel like maybe is different about our reading experiences with this book in particular is that I do have other like KF Brain under my belt. And so I kind of probably am more used to her writing style than you maybe possibly but probably not by much because her writing style is kind of inconsistent and incoherent. I also think that she started writing her books super fast for some reason. And I really like want to figure out why, but she used to like write a series like a normal person and have them come out every year or a couple of years. Now it's like she's putting out four a year and, and they're like garbage. And I'm trying to figure out like her, her audience. Yeah, and I definitely think that that is where some of the editing falls off as well because you can't write a book that quickly and make it actually good I mean there's so many times within the book where she will just skip a word or put the wrong word in like homophones and homonyms sis needs some work okay she was struggling the whole time so I mean there's things like that that definitely need to um like get fixed um before I would ever consider reading another book of hers or another series of hers, but. And that's, um, that's, yeah. that's understandable. Um, I think KF Breen struggles so much with finding her own voice in writing. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that, that you're right. That's a place where Breen, I just did like four L's. <laughs> that's a place where Breen gets lost in the weeds and trying to make it like Kate, but also not make it like Kate. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that's like clearly which I think she succeeds better in this series than her other one that I was talking about. Like she has like six. I feel like Sin and Chocolate does not count as UF. It almost to me is on the cusp of paranormal romance. See, and that's my thing. I think you're right. I think it's edging towards paranormal romance because there's no action in this book. Nothing (laughs) happens. I really want to reiterate that point. Nothing happens in this first book. And if she had just made the first book and the second book, one book combined, okay, and moved some things around, fixed the pacing problems, cut out the first half of the first book and just been like, he's stalking you. Now he's forcing you to go to whatever, right? Mm. I'd have been cool with that because we're clearly already we have an Edward on our hands this man's not going to stop following you right yeah if we had just put it together then I would say maybe you get into UF territory because there is some action in the latter half of that second book but Mm. this first book offers nothing of the sort but I do think regardless of even Breen getting lost in the weeds of finding her place in the genre her writing gets lost easily as well. Yeah. Like her voice for Alexis gets lost so existed. easily. Alexis is so vague as a character. Yeah. And it's ridiculous because she. Oh, yeah. Basically, she, just like yeah. an amalgamation of the voices from other people. Daisy yeah. will say, she's like this. And you're supposed to just believe it, but you don't ever see it happen. And like hmm. she just, she has all these. She's like, oh, well, I'm snarky, but then she's also, she's like always crying for some reason, or she's like, yes, okay, 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 okay. So feisty, but then she's like, Kieran, take me now, you know, and it's like, (laughs) this isn't adding up. Yeah, I I will say that now that I'm thinking about it, this is one thing me and Alexa, 100%, Alexa may or may not be on the show later, but. um, Uh, Yes, for the viewers at home, or the listeners at home, Alexa is, um our cousin she reads similar books as we do. Well, anyway I'll, I'm saying that we talked about how um this is a really big thing with like British authors and I kind of want to know if K.F. Breen is British I don't really know much about her as an author yeah same but their version of UF it tends to be less action-packed in general and um it tends to be freakier for some reason but they also tend to say this character is a real she's she's a real like she, she's strong she's a real strong female character and I think that she did not get that at all (laughs) she made her a crybaby she made her whiny she made Mm -hmm. her um flip-flop between oh this is this is what strong is and then this is what strong is Mm -hmm. I think that I think also it possibly is just I don't know if this is an older author as well and she like doesn't hasn't quite grasped what new age feminism is but wanted to write about it yeah where being strong does not mean you don't cry. It just means that you can like push through some of the, the adversity in your life. And she kind of doesn't even do that. She doesn't push through anything. She doesn't attempt to grow as a character, but there's no, like, there's no starting, there's no baseline for Alexis. Um, yeah, that, I, I made a point about that earlier too, when I was like, just go, giving my overall review was mm-hmm. that, Alexis shows no character development. She goes from one to the next and then back to start. Yeah. Like, so what I was saying was like, at the start of the book, she's this whiny crybaby character 
she complains a lot. She has a bad attitude, whatever. You're supposed to identify her with her, think she's spunky, whatever. But she's like very neutral and also very incapable. She doesn't know her magic. She doesn't know the magic system very well. All that kind of stuff. She gets to the magical building, sees a ghost and she's like, I'm a detective. I'll fix everything. I'm like coolest person there is. I can bust down this like magical spirit box. And then she's like, wait, let me use my detective brain, my higher thinking brain and do whatever. And it doesn't make sense because we have yet to see her actually display that type of a practical intelligence or be emotional intelligence yeah. up to this point. And through the book, Kieran's like, she's so intelligent. Where? Please explain that to me, Kieran. <laughs> making things up now. But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Kieran, the wrong Kieran's head. Just making things up. Now. Like go off. Whatever. Okay. And then she goes immediately back to being that whiny crybaby character that you see at the beginning. And throughout the second book, they make her look like an idiot. So wait, like you can't just keep jumping around from point to point like that. It just, there's no development and she regresses constantly and it's aggravating. Yeah. And then the other point that got me, which we really are going to have to close this out in a few minutes because I only have the space for another like 15 minutes. Okay. Um, but the, the other thing that kind of gets me was at the end of the book. So in chapter 40 of 41 chapters in this book. Mm-hmm. She basically has a discussion with the kids and she's like, I'm not going to take the job. You guys are right. We can pull through. We can get through this next year without Kieran, without his money, whatever. You know, I'll find another job. Daisy's like, I'll get a job to help out. Mordecai's like, once I'm 16, I can get a job that has magical medical insurance. And then I can get the procedure. You know, we can save up. I've got a good supply of my medicine. We don't need him, right? And it's a very passionate and like beautiful scene because the kids are like sticking by her even when things are rough. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I love you guys. And I really appreciate everything that you're willing to do to help us like survive and to keep our family together without compromising our morals. Yeah, It's an amazing scene. One of the very few scenes I truly like in this book. And then immediately after she's like, okay, I'm going to go find Kieran. I'm going to tell him I'm not taking the job. She gets there. Kieran is sitting on a rock looking sad and she caves. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, now I remember what you're talking. Yeah. So terrible. And again, that's another point where I was like the tension isn't there there's nothing there that makes me like Mm -hmm. suspenseful if you had kept up if you had cut the book there and kept it until like the second book and then we open with a cold open of Mordecai getting his like um you know getting his procedure on Karen's behalf and then we go into like once Mordecai got the procedure she was like you know what Kieran you're a good guy let me just do this for you because of this reason, this reason, and this reason, whatever. Instead, she caves immediately. We see it at the end of the book. And then we get the reveal about her dad, which came out of nowhere. Yeah, it did. It just didn't make any sense. And it was so disappointing. And like, I just, there, it's so weak. It's weak writing. It's poor yeah. writing. It's bad <laughs> song writing. Katie. <laughs> I know exactly where you're going with that. Um, I might watch that movie tonight. Um, but- <laughs> This okay, so just thinking about um Alexis and like her story arc, it was it was strange to me to see all of the side characters from book one 
to book six where I finished, or like middle of book six where I was, all of the side characters get more consistent characterization than the main mm-hmm. character. And I think she had this like, it was a weird, it was almost like she had this like um, a dystopian mindset where she was making her main character a blank slate, but also giving her the personality that is so strong within the UF genre. Even in paranormal romance, personality of a main character is so key because that's kind of your like saving grace for your books because otherwise it's either just like smut or it's a gore fest like you Mm -hmm. need to be able to identify and love your character but see them as a separate person than you um they are not you you know it was it was just strange that she kind of like but yeah she was very like wishy-washy she was I don't know. And this is how I feel sometimes and blah, blah, blah. And it was just, a, it was a weird way to write a character, especially a main character in a book that she was trying to, in, in the genre that she was trying to go for. Um, yeah. yeah she I tries like, Alexis as she's supposed to be the like pinnacle of a UF female lead and she just falls flat. Yeah. But um. Yeah, so I want to thank you for coming on. I am going to have to cut our little discussion short. And obviously, I'm going to have you back on here at some point. So if we ever want to get back into this, I will forever be able to rant about how much I hate this book series. (laughs) So if we ever want to discuss it again, I'm sure we could come back and probably do a part two and I can just so we can discuss the second book. I'm not going to reread the second book. I already have all the notes I need to discuss how terrible that book is. Um, but yeah, so I want to thank you for coming on. I want to, um, you know, if you have any final really quick points to make, um, you can make them now. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I think that KF Breen is, has potential as an author if she finds a editor, if she finds a publishing house. I think these are all self-published anyway, so that kind of tracks um, for the for the fact that they are probably self-published and she doesn't have an editor, I think she could have done worse. I think she could have put out a worse product. So I'm not mad at there that. There are several people on Wattpad doing it as we speak. So you are correct. If they are self-published, I'm not mad at them. If they are not self-published, no, this is unacceptable. Um, yeah. So yeah. 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 Um, and Lastly, I think that if I'm back on the show, not if I will be, I, I hope, I hope this was entertaining to y'all. Um, I want to do a book that we both like <laughs> next time with characters that I legit like. I cannot um, promise that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I think my final rating for this is I DNF'd it twice and that says something. <laughs> that says, that says a whole lot. And also, um, I think that I will forever hold her other series in my heart, though, because I really did like shout out to Reagan, shout out to Darius. Those were the two that I like was here for. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. And um, we will talk to you later at some point. Once again, that was my sister, Eden Meggett, joining us to talk about KF Green's Sin and Chocolate. Now is the time for my final ruling on this book, whether this book was truly in its bag or absolutely ugly. I'm sure all of you can tell that I believe this book was absolutely atrocious. This book was not good. It was ugly bordering on fugly. 
I did not enjoy most of it, which is really a shame. I think it had a lot of potential. And again, I don't want to say this all to um, hate on the author. I think uh, KF Green put out a piece of media that she felt proud about. And, you know, she put it out there for the public to read, for the public to view. And I have all the respect in the world for any author, amateur or otherwise, who is willing to actually make something um, creative and put it out there. So if anyone out there is trying to get into this space, I think that's amazing and props to you. I would say keep in mind though that if you're going to put it out there, it is going to receive some level of criticism and I think the criticisms I gave today were very justified. Uh, this book does need more editing. It needs a better pace. It needs more consistency throughout. Um, but yeah, I think that this book definitely had potential. And again, the first time I read it, I was not, I did, I was not completely dissatisfied with it. Um, but I think as I've grown and read other books, it was a letdown, which is really a shame to see. Um, but yeah, that is our first episode of The Books, The Bag, and The Ugly. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for supporting, uh, sharing, and liking this content. If there's anything you, else you would like to see from me, please feel free to let me know. 